Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. As you know, I'm your host, Ash Lorp. This is going to be episode 200 and two with film composer, performer, and songwriter, Gil Talmy. I met Gil out in um, Utah, actually, of all places. We were working on a film together, and um, it's a documentary. Can't talk about it too much. Um, but it's, it was a, it's a very special film and it was really great to meet Gil. We went to a screening of the film and we ended up having really great conversations. And when we were out there, I asked him if he would be interested in coming on to the show and he was kind enough to share his time with us. So I was really stoked because Gil's been doing what he's been doing for quite some time and he's learned a lot of really key things that we all are in need of learning, you know? So there's a lot of really great lessons and things that we talk about in this episode. It's a bit of a condensed one. I actually had to jump away onto some calls and meetings and stuff. I had a pretty, pretty busy day that day. Unfortunately, we had to cut it in about an hour and a half or so. Um, we could have probably talked for three hours straight and it would have been, um, it was, it would have been a great episode either way. We we're going to probably do part two, but, um, it was a, it was a really great one. We had a really good time. Um, Gil and I talk a bit about his father, who is actually a film composer, quite a talented film composer himself. So that was really interesting because that dynamic, you know, father and son or, you know, being a sibling to somebody that has tremendous talent and skill and stuff, but also just, you know, his idea of making music to get his father's attention and, you know, the interesting things that these are things that I would do as a kid growing up, you know, I didn't have a lot of talents athletic wise, but I could draw and I could be very creative. So I would use that as a device to get attention. I think I still do today if I really look and be honest with myself, which is really cool. Um, so it was a very honest and, and candid uh, conversation about being human and, you know, and, and we talk a bit about um, Gil's decision to make work on socially conscious films. That's one of his key goals with his film work and stuff. So it's really cool um, talking a bit about that and how he used to live in LA and now he's in New York and why he loves New York and the things about New York. I love meeting people that come from New York that really just love that city and embrace it. Because I think, as you know, I'm not a big city person. I've kind of avoided the cities most of my life. I'm more of a nature person, but there is something about New York that I really love. And, and I think that he hit it on the head in this episode talking a bit about it, which is really cool. We talk a bit about too, and um, <laughs> excuse me, um, chasing a cold. I had, I've got this stupid cough that lasts forever. It sucks. Um, the weather here in California has been wild, and I've been traveling a lot, so it's just kind of sticking with me. Unfortunately, um, we talk a lot about being intimate with the creators that you work with, with your directors, and how important trust is. Um, so there's some really key advice if you're listening to this and you want to get into this type of work. These, the key, there's some really key things. So I really wouldn't miss these details in this conversation because there's some really key things that I wish I heard when I was starting out. And if I would have really listened, really listened to, but it's, it's all comes down to relationships and trust and, and creating emotion together, which is really great. And that's really when the great work survives. We talk about the, the malice of, uh, of temp music and dealing with that and, and how Gil kind of navigates his directors and his collaborators around using temp music. If you don't know what that is, you'll find out in this episode. And then um, lastly, one of the things, the key things that we talked about that I felt was really important to discuss as well is, is the idea of perfectionism. This is like a defeating term and it's really important to try to avoid it if possible. But I really like Gil's uh, analysis of it and he strives for excellence, but is aware and avoids perfection and, and the need to be perfect because that usually creates a lot of really bad 
conundrums basically when you're creating things. So, but yeah, it was a, it was a really awesome episode. Um, super stoked to be back home. I was out in Prague for a bit. Um, did a couple talks out there. That was awesome. Big thanks and a lot of love to everybody that I met out there. It's really incredible to get a chance to travel the world and do what I do and what I love and share what I love. And it's amazing meeting you people, you know, people that are, are fans of the show. Um, I know I get a lot of really great feedback from the show, um, you know, about just how it's helped people. And that means a lot. You know, this is kind of a selfish endeavor, but if I can help people through the process of their goal obtaining and, you know, if I could help you in any way, then then this all this effort that Andrew and I put into this is going to be worth it. So really stoked. It was really great to meet you guys. I wanted to give you all a shout out and thanks for all the love. And it was probably out in uh, Movo, I think it was called, the, the, the conference out in Prague. To date, that was my favorite talk. Um, you guys were amazing. I think alcohol in the audience helps a lot because my jokes were able to like really land and go forward. So that was great. Um, actually just had a dream about that whole talk. It was really interesting. But anyways, I'm rambling on. Was, this is a really great episode. I'm super stoked to have Gil on. Thank you so much, Gil, for coming on. This is going to be episode 202 of the Collective Podcast. Let's roll. little background we worked on a film together i don't think we can disclose it yet because by the time this comes out i don't know if this film will even be released mm. and so we can't really mm. talk about it but mm-hmm. uh we had a chance to go out to sundance and we <clears> stayed <throat> in this insanely amazing house uh, yep props to another judy thanks to that judy and her husband yeah this huge house and uh that's when i met gil and we had a good talk and we ended up watching the film together and it was a very special experience for me mm. personally in my career and obviously a special one I would imagine for yourself as well. And mm-hmm. we went snowshoeing at 12 o'clock. That was crazy. So yeah. 12 o'clock midnight. Yeah. Just midnight. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at, yeah. at, uh, at 9,000 feet elevation with, uh, I think it was like two, 22 degrees outside and it was amazing. Yeah, it was cool. I wanted to go even further. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was crazy. I, the snow yeah. was insane. Yeah. It's insane. And I feel like that's when you and I really got to, connect more and bond under the that canopy of stars and the universe and it was it was kind of magical the yeah. whole thing yeah it was even though it was somewhat short-lived it was a really it was fun you know they, mm. these things are so um unique i think as an experience or at least for me is i spend so much of my time i imagine you do as well like in your studio you know and kind of in your own head or in your own world and going out to these things being ultra social and meeting all these new people and uh, it's very interesting. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I've spent the last twenty years straight in my studio, and uh, that time we met in Sundance was the only time I actually left my studio in wow. the last twenty years. So, whoa, um, really? No, I'm 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 joking. I was like, wow, just, sheesh, <laughs> you're a worker bee, I, man. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm I'm joking, but it does feel like that sometimes, right? In sure. what we do, I yeah. mean, like, yeah. You sure. are, you're located in New York and I hear you have this incredible studio. I really can't wait to go and see it sometime. Yeah. You have to come visit. I would love um, to. Yeah. It's inside the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Uh, I've been here for 12 years. Um, when I moved in here, the big building next door, there were 
uh, people in hazmat suits removing asbestos. Oh, okay. uh, and the, the whole place felt like this, uh, like just totally remote, uh, hidden part of New York. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's in recent years, it's really transformed into something that the public knows about. And there's uh, like an artist and filmmaking, you know, community and, and more and more people in arts and entertainment are, are doing things and I have this beautiful space. It's like 1700 square feet overlooking the river and Manhattan. And it's, uh, wow. yeah, you know, I've, I've created this, this lovely workspace since I spent so much time here and it's important for me to feel uh, at home and relaxed and, you know, so the creativity can easily flow and yeah. uh, I love it. Absolutely good, love it. Good for you. That's really cool. And there's nothing like a great creative space to really, you know, like you said, I think that's perfect because you kind of have to foster it sometimes because it, as you know, it's like you, you're creative and, and the, the more you do it, the better you get at it, obviously, or at least you should hope so. But, um, mm -hmm. but like, mm -hmm. you know, you learn from your mistakes, but one of them I always learned was like having a bad improper workspace, you know? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. having some place that's good and inspiring, um, is always nice, especially I would imagine in New York where property is so scarce and hard to find. Um, especially I would imagine more now than ever, people often complain that like, Oh, New York's changing this and that it's getting all gentrified and stuff. But the last time I went there, I hadn't been there since I was a kid and it was crazy when I was a kid and like mm. super sketchy. But when I went there, whew, I went there like maybe four years ago or something to direct mm -hmm. a commercial. It was like, wow, this is, it was, there's like, it was felt like Europe at night. It was like, wow, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. safe feeling and lots of good food and people are very social. You've been in New York for a long time. I moved here, um, three weeks before 9-11 oh so, uh, wow yeah interesting yeah i, yeah, I moved i was living in la at the time for 11 years and then i moved here and uh yeah so i've been here for what is it now uh uh 18 19 years wow. uh, i was i was actually conceived in new york oh okay uh so yeah taking it way way back um so i always felt like New York City was the port porthole in which I wanted to enter this life, mm. uh, but then my 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 parents pulled a, pa a fast one on me, and I was actually born in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, uh, so you're right. My parents are are musicians, and so wherever my dad, he's an orchestral conductor. Wherever he would get his next orchestra, we would move, and so. Um, so it was two years in Louisville, a year in Tel Aviv in Israel, and then three years in London, 10 years in Holland, and then seven and a half years in Israel, uh, and then ten, uh, 11 years in L.A., and then I moved back here uh, in 2001, wow. uh, and I've... I've uh, which makes me 103 years old. Um, and, <laughs> if I'm doing uh, the math I, right, you're 400. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Years old, yeah. I, I can hear you <laughs> scribbling it down. So, um, uh, I've always felt like New York was home for me. Um, I feel like it's one of the few places in which, uh, with the diversity of my background and all the different cultures, I I feel at home because mm -hmm. it, New York really doesn't ask you to be this or that. It just asks you to show up, you know? Sure. And uh, I feel like I, sh I share the each block with the whole world. And um, 
I like that. I just feel uh, safe in that. I feel at home. Uh, I feel creatively inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a safety dance, I feel, because the city is inspiring, but also exhausting. <laughs> and right. Yeah. And so it's like, uh, I have to always make sure that I don't get uh, burnt out. Yeah. And uh, it takes a lot of like maintenance and self care. But I, I absolutely love this place. That's awesome. Super cool. Mm. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very unique city. That's for sure. And it's cool that you've been around. I imagine that's probably helped a lot. And also we talked about a little bit about your dad too and mm-hmm. his involvement in your life and stuff and how you guys are um, friends now and all that kind of stuff. That's really, I mean, I guess I imagine you said that you guys were close for a decent part of your life, I guess. I don't, I didn't really get too far into it, but your, what your dad does is interesting what you do, you know? So yeah, passing that kind of, that, you know, that's something I always wonder about my daughter. You know, she's 13, mm. almost 14. She's mm. known me my entire life to just be sitting at a computer or designing or working. She, we've brought her around the world um, a couple of times to go and partake in some of the talks I've done so she can kind of see it as well. I'm really curious to see what she takes from my involvement in her life, you know. So mm. not, that, not mm. that I would want her to to, to um, be an artist or a designer or anything. She could be whatever she wants as long as she's happy. But I'm always mm-hmm. curious, and that's always got to be an interesting thing. To to, to do, you, do you and your dad talk about music? Do you share your music with him? Yeah, so it's so it's it's been such a voyage with this amazing man, uh, Yoav, my dad, um, who is he, so he's an orchestral conductor. He's also an amazing composer, uh, and um, you know, I, I think we spent uh, a long, long time kind of butting heads and uh uh just we have a very different way of relating um and uh, i think that i initially started being interested in music because uh i noticed that when i played a few chords on the piano when i was like tiny right like a few years old mm-hmm. that i would get my dad's attention Mm. And so I figured, okay, that's the way to get his attention, um, right? Like most, I think most kids do to get their parents' attention. And so I, I think that I was very initially drawn into music just as a way to connect with my father. Mm. Um, the thing is, he's uh, an orchestral conductor. And so how do you as a very small child compete with Mahler and Beethoven? <laughs> right. So, yeah. so, so it's, it was an interesting dynamic. And I think for a lo- a long time, there was this kind of com- unspoken competition or, um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of love, but also this underlying, uh, tension having to do with the fact that I entered, um, a similar career as he did, uh, as far as music, um, in recent years, there's been this amazing shift. I think we've both worked hard to, you know, work on ourselves and our relationship. And there's this real sweetness now where, yeah, we do talk um, a few times a month. You know, they live in Israel. I'm here in New York and we connect and he and I talk about what he's working on. He's writing some music right now and we talk about creative process and and we're, we're able to connect 
from these the interesting thing is that we're both in music but we're we come at it from a whole different perspective and it's a different world sure. right and uh and so i'm really enjoying it i'm really enjoying this this connection that um that ironically I wanted as a child mm. and it didn't happen for decades. Yeah. And and now it's there. And um I think that's common for men. I know? think so. I think we blossom think much so. later because our immaturity of, of our men our so, social and our our ability to communicate properly at a young age is, is very difficult. <laughs> I think that because I have yeah. the same thing with my dad too. Like our mm. our, our mm. relationship really blossomed and fostered when I became a dad. When I came older, uh, interesting you know so, interesting yeah, and i think it's like the same for all of my friends too it's like we all are now like friends with our dads and i think it's just kind of the utilitarian aspect of a man too i think i don't know you know i think this, nowadays people are just trying to blur the lines but there's there is a difference you know and there is a difference in the way we socialize and the way that we communicate so and that's just a trend that i've noticed between myself and my friends and just people in general. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's a beautiful I, thing though, when you have that connection yeah. with your, with your, your, the people that made you, you know, I, I agree. I agree with everything you just said. And I think it is a, it is a, a thing that is common, uh, with men. Um, I think also there's a generational different, I think like men of your, my generation have been, uh, have had the luxury, I think, of being exposed to the language of emotions, mm, um, um, and and something that the previous generations just have a hard time with, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I think I've always felt my father's emotions in his musical expression, mm, and then and then had this comparison, and in a way, my 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 need from him was why can't you be as emotional with me as you are when you conduct, you know, um, uh, Mozart's Requiem or, uh, you know, uh, or Mahler or whatever it is. I know you can feel that deeply. Why can't you do it with me? Right. Cause there's this desire to connect. And it took me a long time to understand that it's not that he, he won't. It's just that he can't. It's a different language. And here's, I'm wondering if you can relate to this. The irony, what I found in my own life is that the moment, and when I say moment, I'm talking decades in the making, but the moment in which I let go of that need from him, mm -hmm. the relationship became what I always wanted it to be. Of course it did. Right. I yes, mean, like the, yeah. the pressure was off the like, and, uh, and he feels more relaxed. I feel more relaxed. He, you and can I both be yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a removal of expectation. Expectation gets you in odd predicaments. It really does. And the moment you remove, it's like what's what the formula of travel. I always look at is like, remove all expectations, say yes to everything and just experience, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that, if you embrace that within people and your friendships with people, as long as it's a little bit more dynamic, obviously people, cause like, um, you know, some people can take advantage of you. So you gotta be really careful of that, mm -hmm. using mm -hmm. that rule system with people, but, um, mm -hmm. but your, your family and people that actually, um, do have a deep connection and a love for you, you know? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I never met yeah. my birth father. So I, and I think uh, a lot of that right. comes down to just the way that I operate. Even today, I have these weird, bad habits of like, wanting to be liked and, and wanting to be accepted and wanting to be, um, you know, like, is it, you know, as a young kid, you're like, well, why didn't that person 
care for me? Like, why, why did they leave? Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. think I'm okay. Mm-hmm. My mom says I'm okay, but like, why? Mm-hmm. So, and these are things that you come to terms with. You remove expectation. And then, cause that's a really beautiful thing. I remember having a talk with a, a friend of mine. He was saying like, you know, he was always kind of, um, frustrated or just kind of sad that his dad was always in the garage. His dad was always tinkering mm-hmm. with something and they'd, the family would always be like, Oh, go get Tim or whatever his dad's name was. Mm-hmm. And, and I told him, I was like, you know what? It's kind of a beautiful thing that you had somebody in your life sh- to show you that they had passion. Mm-hmm. You know, like you look, mm-hmm. you're looking at the wrong way. I think, I think instead of going me, me, me and why it's yeah. like, how about, why don't you go in the garage? See what he's mm-hmm. doing. You yeah. know, go see if you yeah. can be a part of that, even just watch and acknowledge. And because there's a reason why that person's in there. It could be that they're socially, they don't feel a good connection in a way where they can't connect with that, but they can connect with, let's put this carburetor together or something. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. And that's yeah. the unspoken bonds. That, like that's when you really start to have a really strong relationship with somebody when you remove yeah. that stuff and you just go, Hey, it's like when you meet somebody from a foreign country, you don't speak the same language, but you both yes. are like, let's go find a bar to drink, you know? Or yes. Something, yeah. You know? So, yeah. 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 Finding a common ground or a love language that you can connect on. Yes. Uh, for sure. So, yeah. so important. Super um, important. I, I, I think that for, for those of us who are in the arts, right. And where creativity is our expression, um, we're so f- I'll speak for myself. I'm so fine to that, fine tuned to that. Yes. Um, and I think when you taste what that kind of free flowing expression or love or connection or call it creativity, whatever you want to call it, well, it's, it's, it's having the knowledge of what the flow and connection can be. And then the desire to have that with, everyone all the time. I think inherently it's a good thing. Um, and, and I think the, the trick is to, as you said, like to discern between expectation and a desire, but not right. So it's, I think it's healthy to have a desire to want to have intimacy and connect with people, uh, as long as it doesn't come from a place of demand, right? It's a, it's, it's a wish, not a demand. That's, that's the, that's that thin line that is so critical. Yeah, very much. And that's like something you find often with relationships in general, just between people, you know, and, and, um, yeah, I think it's, it's like, we're, it's such an interesting thing that we do. I hope that when we evolve, we can evolve past some of these like roadblocks because Mm. it's like almost like we're just fumbling around, you know, like Mm -hmm. just failing constantly. And we're, it's like, like you mentioned earlier, and I totally agree. When I was growing up, I'm, I was born in uh, 83. So when I was born, mm-hmm. when I was raising, like there were, there was social change. A lot of it was happening. And it's mm-hmm. even crazier now, um, where mm-hmm. people, and in general, like men, and when I was growing up, it's like, don't show emotion. You know, mm-hmm. you're strong, mm-hmm. you're too tough, don't be a pussy. You know, that was mm-hmm. like the thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry for being vulgar. It's just, that's literally what people would say. Yeah. Um, and so, but now it's like, it's like, it's okay to show your emotion and to be emotional. Getting it out is actually, uh, <laughs> could be a little bit better, you know? So, mm-hmm. which is also really interesting. There's like these conundrums that happen. And, but at the same time, I think like that's just a sign of evolution. We're like, okay, yeah. well, all these years of suppressing our emotion is actually leading to like 
serial killers and wars and all these like yeah. horrible experiences because people are at the at the base of everything it all comes down to communication with yourself and others yes. you know so yeah um, but it's yeah and that's what we do and this is something we were kind of talking about um we were hanging out briefly we were talking about the art form in which we 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 work in i work in visuals uh mm-hmm. and you work in sound and music but together they have this really incredible symbiotic relationship when they were in harmony but at the end of the day, we're just communicating at a different level. Would you agree? Yeah. 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 I feel like we're all in the business of, uh, of, of, I really, the more I do this, I, I, the more I think this is really the business of, uh, intimacy. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. It's, what do you mean by that? that? Well, what I mean is that, yes, we're all busy in communication and we're busy in storytelling and we're busy um, uh, um, communicating uh, concepts, ideas, thoughts, emotions. Mm. But, but, and at the end of the day, when I ask myself, why did I do what I did today? Um, cause you know, my passion is for scoring socially conscious films. So that's, re- it's really not a, a get rich quick scheme. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's really, I have a passion for these types of films that are wanting to, um, tell stories that are important. And I ask myself, why do I do it? Why do I do it? And I do it because I have this uh, desire, profound desire, if not a need to connect to feel connected, mm-hmm. to feel part of something, yeah. um, and I, I really see that as as intimacy, like 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 yeah. in a world that is so technological and disconnected and impersonal in many ways. I I can speak for myself. I I I desire to be connected to the world around me. I desire to be open and intimate. I love this conversation that we dove straight into being human. You know, yes. not looking good or looking bad or anything, but just a flow of of feelings and information. And, um, so I think like, why do I do this? Why do I care so much about every, every note, Mm. uh, that I write for a film? It's because I want to connect. I want to, I want to connect to the filmmakers. I want to connect to the topic. I want to connect to the the film. Mm. I want to feel connected to me. That's a two way street. Yes. Right. It's a connection is a it's a two way street. Uh, and at the end of the day, I feel like I've connected to this larger question of what does it mean to be human? You know, how have I contributed? How do I feel connected? How do I go to, to sleep feeling like I'm not just this solitary, uh, you know, just singular entity? Yeah. Uh, right. As opposed to and it makes me think of like when you when you and I. Uh, you know, when that group, when we went hiking at midnight at 9,000 feet, which by the way, for someone who lives in New York, like myself, that's like, <laughs> what really that happened that we didn't dream that it was amazing. And I remember you and I looking at the canopy of stars and yeah. like the, wow, right. Yeah. Right. And so, so I think like living in New York city where it's like, you know, everything's fast and quick and, you know, when I work on a project and I feel intimately connected it's not unlike that feeling that I had on that mountaintop looking at the stars. It's just mm, f- mm. feeling, you know, 
part of something bigger. And bigger. I don't even know exactly what or how, but it's just, it's a feeling. It's not a thought. It's a feeling of feeling intimately connected with something that is meaningful. I love that. That's beautiful. And that's something that I think is so important, as you mentioned too. And it seems like it's probably the way we had a bond because like I'm not motivated for money necessarily. I mean, it's nice. Mm-hmm. And I love when money comes my way and I'm very thankful, but it's not like, Oh, this, you know, it's not like a get rich scheme kind of thing, you know, so mm-hmm. it's like, it's totally mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, no, the, the intimacy thing I think is really, it's spot on. And I think that when you're making your work and you're creating your work, it's about really finding that intimacy. It's so for me, I've found, cause this is the first time that I've ever worked on this project was the first time I worked on a documentary that actually had, um, like as you had coined it or mentioned it, it's like your whole mission was like music for socially conscious films. This is the first mm-hmm. time I had that bond. And I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. this is really cool. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, and it, and, it's, and it is what it is, I'm not trying to um, degrade it or anything, but it's like most of the time it's for, um, you know, Hollywood films, fictional films, films that are more about fantasy and exploitation of the sense, you know, and which is mm-hmm. a different mechanism entirely, mm-hmm. which is not, mm-hmm. it's wrong or bad. It's just, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just different. But, um, yeah. this film that we worked on, I don't know, can't, obviously, so can't talk about, but mm-hmm. maybe we can, I don't know. I think it's public, but I don't want to get in trouble. So, mm-hmm. but it's a really good film. If you guys listen to the podcast, I'll, I'll be talking about it as soon as it's out too. So, um, and maybe we can, uh, you can come back on and we can talk about it a bit more. So that'd be cool. Sure. Uh, we can maybe get yeah. on or something. Yeah. But anyways, uh, it was, uh, intimacy is, is key. And I think it's a matter of choosing projects to have intimacy with. So that's another thing I was going to ask you is you're mm-hmm. out in New York, you used to live in LA and now mm-hmm. you're out in New York, you have your studio, you have your setup. And how is it that do you have an, a connection to people or a connection with people that, you align with that go like, Hey, if you need this and Gil's mm-hmm. the guy, like, how does it work for you mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to connect with these people? Because obviously we need to connect money to, to our intimacy, but yeah. ulti- ultimately we really want to have an ultimate, very intimate connection with people. And, and how do, yeah. my, my curiosity is how do you discover your <coughs> tribe basically? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so my business partner in Consonant Music, right? Consonant Music is my is my company, and we do original music, and we do uh, music supervision and clearance, and 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 uh, licensing and sound design mixing uh, for for film and TV, with a passion for a lot of indie film and socially conscious projects. Um, and Andrew and I have been best friends for over twenty years. Andrew is your business he, partner. Yeah, and he's also an amazing film composer, and he's we're both creative directors of Consonant, and we're both film composers, you know, with our own careers and what we do together in Consonant. Um, and Andrew and I both have we talk about this, you know, all the time. How just again the the importance of um, trust and relationship building. Yeah. Um, I think when you're dealing with especially with independent film oftentimes these are films made by filmmakers who uh a lot of a lot of times it's their it's their very first long-form project um and even if it's not even if it's their fourth or fifth it still is such a 
it's such a it's such a big undertaking in independent film uh, to get it off the ground that I think uh, trust and relationship building is the most important thing. You know, I I would even venture to say more so than the the actual music, mm. um, because I think you know there are many people who write fantastic music. There are many people who do great visual, you know, graphics and and, and design. Uh, but what what makes someone come back to collaborate with you, right? I mean, there is this deeper, there's this connection, there's this um, knowledge that when you know the filmmaker and the composer uh, sit together in in the room working on a film at the very tail end of the filmmaking process, right? They they probably have worked a couple of years, if not more, on the film. And now those finishing touches, which you know what that's like on your end, right? There's so much that needs to go in there yeah. at the tail end of this process. And there's so much trust of like handing over your baby to someone and handing it over in... Uh, I, I think of this often that, you know, if you're dealing with a script for instance, with a script, right? Um, you're dealing with words and we all use words. And if you're dealing with uh, cinematography, you're dealing with visuals. Um, and, you know, obviously it takes incredible expertise and skills to do those things well. And at the same time, for the most part, I think a lot of filmmakers can communicate about... Um, cinematography or on a script level or a treatment level easier than talking about music mm, or talking yeah. about Why what is that, you do. Think? Why is it? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, I think it's just, a, it's not a day-to-day -day language. I mean, yeah. we all listen to music, uh, but it's, it's, um, it's an incredibly powerful language that oh, yeah. conveys so many emotions and it's so intricate, intricate. Um, as far as instrumentation and production, there's so many parameters. Um, I mean, not unlike what you do. Um, I think and, it all comes down to what you were talking about is just mm, there's different levels, obviously, to how far mm -hmm. you go. Yeah, but. there's different levels. That's my point is that in that I, I've seen it being a challenge for uh, filmmakers sometimes to express uh, in musical terms, what what they want the music to do because they don't necessarily have that vocabulary. Yeah, and so that's fine. How do you educate? The, do you educate as you go and kindly guide along, or how do you do that with the director that might not be musically taught or can can speak music basically, but you want to well, get your ideas across? Yeah. Well, I think this is where. This is where the trust and relationship building comes in because yeah. it, because I don't think it's necessarily about educating the filmmaker to know how to express things musically. I think it's um, every good film composer's task is to be able to translate uh, emotional language, right? Like describe the scene to me from an emotional perspective or a dramatic perspective. What would you like emotionally to convey? Mm. And then and then the film composer needs to be able to translate that into music. And and so think of that. You you were talking earlier about how it's like talking two different languages, right? Yes. So it, there's a tremendous amount of trust that goes into uh, into you know, making that translation. Like mm. I, I I'm gonna tell you this scene needs to feel solitary and um and needs to feel 
dramatic, but not melodramatic, not overly dramatic, uh, just a bit of sadness, but not to the degree where our main character has died already because we can't give that away. Right. There's so much nuance there. Yeah. And then yeah. to translate that into music, that's to me, much more about the relationship and the communication and the intimacy between the filmmaker and the film composer than the music itself. <laughs> yeah, Because the yeah. music itself can be written a million different ways. You can, you can translate. So it's more about that comfort level and, and knowing that you're making, you're on, you're on the same team making the same thing. And once that is there, then the rest flows uh, fairly easily. That's great. That's great to hear because that's something that I always preach. I was just out in Europe. I was doing a, a couple of talks out there. And one of the biggest things I communicate and talk about is you must get the first, the first, uh, the first big communication that you have with that person, the director or whoever is all about trust. You got to, yeah. you got to go, Hey, I know you have this thing. You've obviously reached out to me out of the 7 billion people on this planet to do this mm -hmm. thing with you, let's create an intimate current connection. But mm -hmm. I'm going to show you that your that your project that you've been slaving for for years now is in good hands with me. And getting off to a good foot is like the most important thing when you when you're on a film. I think it, it really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a whole different. And so experience. yeah. So back to yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, so no, back to good. your 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 original question. Like so. You know, I think it's establishing that with each filmmaker, um, I found that uh, I just have, you know, filmmakers come back with projects because, you know, I have one filmmaker who's a, a dear friend who we've worked on eight or nine projects together mm. uh, because we've worked so much on our language. It's it's a long term relationship, yes, you know? Is. Yes, it is. It, it's just like we, we don't even have to speak when we're scoring a scene together. We're married like creatively. We, really, exactly. You know? yeah. Totally. And we know each thing. other. And yeah. then and so, yeah, then there's the the technical aspect of sales and marketing. Uh, and, you know, staying on people's radars and all of that stuff. But that's <laughs> that to me is secondary to maintaining the the relationships. And then there's also word of mouth, because I think trust, trust, uh, you know, travels a lot further than any marketing or sales dollars ever will. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. So. Well, if you do yeah. good and you're communicating clearly and you're not too fussy, that's always like the thin line that I find too, because the older I get, the more I'm willing to stand up for myself, you know, mm -hmm. when I was young in my career, I was always like, yes, yes, yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. And then now the older I get, I go, no, but this is why, you know? Um, yeah. And, and the more I'm able to communicate that with like, without just saying no as a wall, but more of like, no, because I've been here and this is what this does. And I want to yeah. protect us, you know? Yeah, uh, for sure. I want to protect yeah. us from my worst self and, yeah, and yeah. In your worst self too. Yeah. So that's, that's something that has really come with time and maturity, I think is, and it's usually like the power of saying no, but not for saying no for stubborn sake, but just for saying no, because you know, it's not right. You know, it's just not going to work or whatever. Is this something that you've learned through the years of your like, communication and stuff? For sure. I think like what you just talked about is, uh, so critical. And I, yeah, I also remember, you know, earlier in my career saying, wanting to say yes, wanting to please and everything. Sure. And it took me a long, long time to understand that, um, 
if I'm on revision 17, it most likely has nothing to do with the music and everything with the filmmaker's inability to commit. Yeah. And it's not something I want to enable. Yeah. Yeah. That's just true. bad behavior. It is bad think, behavior. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's, uh, uh, I think that especially for us, uh, speaking in the language of creativity, which is like this big open blue sky yeah, that has vast. no, no, it's vast. And so, um, I think that we oftentimes as artists can shy away from rules and regulations because we feel it limits our creativity. But I have found that actually without boundaries, my That's creativity dangerous. is, is freedom run amok. And yeah. it just, it becomes self-defeating because there's infinite choices to be made. And, um, you know, so for me, uh, you know, Andrew and I over the years have developed a, uh, a a contract that has very clear version and revision language, Great. and and uh, it's so we go into a project already with that established and agreed upon. That's great. And if, if more revisions are needed than agreed upon, that's fine, but there's an additional fee. Exactly. And so that, that creates for a much better workflow. Better work. Yeah. yeah, better business and better creativity. Yeah. And there's also like a sense of respect too. We have the same thing, my wife and I, my wife is mm-hmm. my producer, but we mm-hmm. have, I love that you bring that up. And that's something that I highly suggest for all creatives listening to this is like, you know, within your contractual agreements with people is to be like, Hey, I'll do revisions up to this point. The point that you want to go beyond this is going to cost you. So be cautious of it because if you let the client, because we're just trying to please, right? So that's where the love and the trust comes in. But sometimes we, it can become very abusive. Usually not, it's like not an intention. It's just like the person just needs to get the thing done. And I've had this on both sides as a director myself. And then the other time just being a contractor. So I've seen it both ways. So, yeah, which helps yeah. a lot too, like that. It's good to see both sides really, but yeah. It is, it is. And you know, I'm on the other side of that when I record live musicians, mm. right? So, yeah. uh, and I remember <laughs> earlier in my career, I would uh, I would bring in a musician or multiple musicians and, uh, and record for a score. And um, I, I look sometimes at the sessions of stuff I used to do and way too many takes, <laughs> you know, like, and, and I, I look back and it was my lack of confidence. Yes. I just wanted to have too many options yes. and it's crazy making, you yeah. know, and now when I call in a professional and I set an X amount of hours that we, that, you know, record, then it, it's up to me to trust myself and trust them that I called in a professional to do the work and that what they're doing is great. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, and it's also shifting. I think this is something big that has shifted over the years in my career, uh, shifting from the horrific concept of perfectionism, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. right? That that's the silent killer. Oh, uh, it is really to uh, an idea of excellence. Like I strive for excellence, but sure. but perfect, no, that's absolutely great. not. That's great to say that too, because that's so true. It, perfection is the killer of all. Really, it is. It's um, yeah, because we're imperfect creatures and. 
to strive for it is great for striving for excellence is great. Like you said, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. a great approach to it because mm-hmm. it's actually, because the thing is, it's like whenever I would dismiss perfection, I'd be like, well, fuck, I'm missing something here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's gotta, mm-hmm. I'm, no, no, I, I want perfection. It's like, no, maybe instead of perfection, it's like, like you said, you know, you want excellence, you know, which I think yeah. is, is a great substitute. And not even a substitute, it's a whole new thing, which is great too. That's cool and that you brought that up yeah, though, about the, yeah. the multiple takes. It's something that reminds me of like <clears throat> when I'd watch like David Fincher's process and I'm like, wow, he's mm. like a full on crazy director and he does like 50 takes. This is crazy. I think mm. there's a, <laughs> he has a different reason why he does his, I think to break the, the, the actor or the scene of its, of its, uh, oh, you're on a film set. Oh, you're getting filmed. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I think he does it to just, dwindle it down to like the core and try to find it where some mm-hmm. directors, I think they're able to, to somehow get it within a couple of takes or even just have one take. And you're like, fuck that's because mm-hmm. they're just, they have that uh, intimate trust with their, their crew, I think. And they, manage mm-hmm. to get it. I, I don't know. I'm not saying anything against Fincher, but what I'm saying is also <laughs> I'd, when I would reflect on my, my early career as a designer and stuff, I would be like, Oh, well here's like 10 options. And I would, mm. and I thought I was doing something good. Where now, nowadays, I go, now this is the option you want. This is it, right? Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they're like, well, where's the other? I remember having a client. They're like, well, where's all the uh, other comps and stuff? I say, what do you mean other comps? They're like, oh, well, you know, other, uh, other ideas. And I said, there is no other idea. This is the idea. Mm-hmm. And they were mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know. And I felt like I was like. Oh fuck. It's like poker. You know, I'm at the poker table for the bluff, you know? And I was like, shit, am I going to, you know, break under this or am I going to hold to my ground? And I was like, you know what? I've, I've been doing this for a long time. And I said, you know, like in all respect, I, I don't do that because I feel like I'm cheating you. If I spend any other time not doing my purest intention on this Mm -hmm, thing, mm -hmm, what -hmm. we can have from here is a communication as to what you need this to be. But what this is, is me giving you honestly and directly exactly what it is that I think you need. And and I'm not going to just steer you in the other way because it's a conventional thing that I I don't believe in that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That causes more harm, honestly, Uh because they're like, Uh oh, you know, decision fatigue. It's like when I go to the grocery store, I'm like, fuck, there's like an aisle of toothpaste. And then I got to sit there and study toothpaste. I got to become a fucking master of understanding what toothpaste I need. You know, it's like, geez, and I just like want to leave. Like, this is ridiculous. It's too much. It's too much. And we make so many decisions already. So, um, no, man, I, I hope brother, I'm, I'm so with you on that. And it's, um, (laughs) it, you know, this comes up, uh, for film composers all the time, right? Because we deal with temp scores. Yes, I, uh, we, we talked about this. It's something that yeah. I always find very interesting, especially when I work with the composers, because I'm always like, I'm so hesitant to show them a cut with temp because I don't want to fuck with their head, you know? So yeah. we talked about this. You had a very good, mature uh, approach to it, which I thought was great, too. And we should explain what temp music is to possibly yeah. to somebody that doesn't know this kind of world. Yeah, so temp music. So um, uh, when uh, filmmakers, editors start working on a rough cut, uh, they they uh, these days more often than not uh, edit to uh, temporary music that they find in you know ninety eight percent of it is Hans Zimmer's music too exactly I'm just, I'm just joking but it's still true <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um, uh, yeah so 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 so, uh, so they edit to this temp music and um, which can be um, 
a really helpful way to establish a, like a sonic roadmap yeah. of a conversation that you can have later on what works, what doesn't work. Um, unfortunately, there's uh, what happens is oftentimes they develop uh, temp love, which is a a real disease recognized by the <laughs> CDC and millions of filmmakers worldwide suffer from this every year. Um, <laughs> they fall in love with a piece of temp music. Yes. And then later on, when they start collaborating with a composer, um, it can get tricky if they're not aware of the fact that they have temp love. Yeah. Um, because there is, you know, when you hire a creative uh Person, I think this is true not just for you know not just for the arts or entertainment, but every human being on this planet wants to be trusted and wants to be given the opportunity to express their true, genuine self yes. and not have to be uh, mimicking someone else, right? Yes. Um, and so, when you come to a composer and you say, "We really love this piece of music," can you do the same thing? Immediately, there's a sense of like, what. Well, uh, Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you know, get that in the just, visual thing too. They're like, Hey, we want you to do this fucking thing. That's just, it's popular now. And yeah. We want you to copy it. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Sorry. It's, it's a, it's a Royal bummer. It's a Royal bummer. And it happens all the time. So now, you have to kill For it instantly. Me, you have to kill it right there. You have to go, I can't. <laughs> you have to. I have more and more in recent years said, this is, this is how I talk about it, which is, you know, the reason that we use certain pieces of temp, uh, certain pieces of music for temp score is because they're awesome. They're unique. Yes. They're original. They're unlike anything else. Yeah. And the way they became unique and unlike anything else is because <laughs> that composer was allowed to be unique. herself. Yeah. Unique, right? Yes. And so if you want me to create something unique and unlike anything else, which your film deserves, it deserves to have its own musical language, it's part of it, let me be me, yes. right? That's why you hired me, let me be me. Um, let's talk, let's use the temp music as a sonic roadmap to discuss the dramatic needs of each scene and the film as a whole. But as far as stylistically, um, let it go. Yeah. It's always difficult because as an editor too, because I do editing too, it's like you need music. Music is the core. So the problem in the process is that music comes in prior. It's But some directors, like I know Nolan works directly with like his composers very early on so that mm -hmm. he can get them composing to match music so he's not using temp. You know, so yes. he kind of negates or escapes that basically. And yeah. some directors too, they'll go, hey, you know, Gil, I'm doing this film. It's about this stuff, and I'm doing this thing before I don't. I'm not before I even touch editing. I want you to know what this is, and then you can start thinking about it, making music around that sonic feel. I mean, yeah. then we're going to connect, and I'm going to use your music artistically from your like mind before you see it, and then we're going to just kind of make something from that. And I, that's the film, and that's the film, that's the style that I always want to work in. I really don't like using temp music unless I have to. But yeah. it's, it's oftentimes it's very difficult, especially because just the demands on the industry itself because of the way we consume this stuff is so rapid. Um, it's just like it's kind of a machine that's hard to stop, basically. Yes. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and, and also, I feel like, um, you know, there uh, I think there's a lot of uh, amazing uh, 
material films coming out of Hollywood. Um, so I'm not going to knock Hollywood in one big broad brushstroke, right? And especially lately, I think there's I've seen some wonderful, wonderful uh, f- filmmaking there's happening. A ton of talent coming out of there. Yeah. 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 And having said that, there's also, as we all know, part of Hollywood that is, um, you know, formulaic because it works and it sells. Sure. And and then part of that formula is let's let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's do the same thing, right? So you have the this, the movie that you feel like you've seen ten times before, and the score you feel like you've heard ten ten times before. And I see a lot of that is um, that is recreation. Uh, whereas I'm interested in creation. Mm, interesting. It's nicely way, so, nice way of putting it. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, I think for, for most <laughs> of us, uh, on the creative side, we, we want to do that fresh thing, that idea that wakes you up at 5am and you can't sleep because it wants to be birthed. Right. Yes. Uh, and I, 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 th- I think very few people wake up at 5am because they want to recreate something they heard <laughs> last week. Right. And that's just not part of our passion as, 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 as human beings. So it's like, we want to express. And, um, so yeah, yeah. um, I think, I mean, log- for pragmatic reasons, we have to do a bit of both recreation and creation, but ultimately, I mean, that's, where my passion is to to create original and one of the reasons i i absolutely love working on the film you and i are working with because the filmmakers there um you know like have have been so excited about creating something new and original on all fronts yes they have right and and that's such they're such a blessing because Mm -hmm. it's like it's crazy that there's they were like that too so it's so great because they're so involving and so um accepting to things and 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 thinking they're very thinking and cognitively aware people the directors you know which is really awesome yeah um and our and our close producers too which are like you know directors as well in this process which has been amazing so yeah yeah, i agree and that's it's been an an incredible ride really has because it's like this is great there's so much that you're allowing us to be ourselves you know and that was one thing i remember sitting there watching the film at sundance and i had watched multiple different takes of the film multiple different times and obviously with tent music in it and so when i was sitting there listening to your work in it (coughs) i was like wow this is really cool i wasn't I think probably in my mind, and this is probably if somebody were to tell me this, I'd be like, that's a really, that's a great compliment. It's like, it wasn't, I didn't even think about it. It was just that I was in that, I was in the Mm. world, basically. Mm. It was like, it it didn't stand out like crazy all the time. There was moments where I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. And it did, Mm. I did think, I did feel its pronunciation and the experience. Mm. But there's mm. other parts where it's just like it, it, it connected everything. Same with the mm. sound too, you know. Mm. So, which mm. to me I think is that's really great, you know. So sometimes mm. when a one art form outshines the other, it's like hmm, yeah, it's a little too much sometimes. And it's also really great. Like you know, I always bring up Star Wars as a great example of incredible film con- composure uh, composing. And sometimes though, like it's like it's perfectly in harmony with the visuals. And sometimes you're like, damn, this score is crazy. You know, mm-hmm. like, this is really yeah. going, you know? And, but at the same time, I think that's, it's, it's perfectly fit for that. I think mm-hmm. John, I believe his name is John, right? The composer. John for, Williams. John yeah. Williams. Yeah. yeah. John, yeah. He's genius, you know, obvious. Oh, genius. completely. Completely. Yeah. yeah uh, no one writes like him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, I mean, didn't he do like uh, home alone and stuff? Didn't he do home alone? There's another guy. 
I'm not. No, I don't know. Because the Home Alone guy did a bunch of stuff too, and he's out of control. Let's see, Home Alone composer. Because man, he. Oh yeah, John Williams again. So John Williams basically. Oh wow, amazing. Because I I think he also did Jurassic Park. I think too, which is like, damn it, guy. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's on another level. Because his his his. His whole thing, like it's 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 interesting, like it's crazy that that he's in the Harry Potters and like man, it's like yeah, yeah, and he does <laughs> this this beautiful, big, rich, um, old world kind of scoring as far as like real writing for a real orchestra that really there's <coughs> very few people on the planet today who can write like that, you yes. know. Um, and, and, you know, the big Star Wars stuff, obviously, and everything we talked about. And then, you know, like I think of Schindler's List and this, like, like this heartfelt, beautiful, um, theme that just stays with you forever. You know, that's another thing is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of film composers that score scenes really beautifully and do a great job in telling the story from scene to scene and even throughout the whole film, the whole arc, right? Um, There are very few composers that write in such a way where you walk out of the theater uh, remembering a melody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Especially more now than ever, I think. I think so. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Things are getting lost in this weird kind of like, what, what was that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we don't have like theme songs. Like I went and watched um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, and people probably get tired of me talking about this, but I, I got really <laughs> emotional about it because I really love the sound that Queen produced. I think I really, really yeah. love it. It's incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah, when they were in their prime making music together as just a group, it amazing. Was, it was yeah. Come on, there's there's very few sounds on this planet that are that powerful in a song it's like are you kidding me so and so and i was listening to it i was also really sad because i haven't felt the connection that i've had to that kind of music since i was a kid and it brought Mm -hmm. tears to my eyes because of that reason i was like wow like what a fucking brilliantly beautiful thing what a beautiful thing an amazing thing that we've had to enjoy you know but it's like also sad like oh man you know like there's been i'm not saying that there hasn't been amazing music i love music i'm such a I, I like all my friends that come to me, what's the new music? And I, whoosh, you know, here's what I'm listening to. And that's, that's mm. kind of like my thing. But um, yeah, you're, you hit it on the head. There's, I don't know if it's nostalgia, but the theme songs and things and, and melodies and humming things have kind of like law, like they're not in films anymore. It's very, very weird. You know, you get like sounds almost, you know, like Sicario had that really, beautiful mm-hmm. rumbly boom like roar, like that was really cool but it's mm-hmm. and then like uh you know Hans Zimmer is obviously one of the big guys now and he has his they're like sounds they're not mm-hmm. like they're not melodies almost in a sense and it's weird it's very different so and I and like I said I think it's I'm trying to be cautious of like nostalgia creep getting in there but um, you know, I, this is such a great topic that I'm so glad you brought this up because I, I think about this all the time and I, I, I hear what you're saying about is, are we being just nostalgic? Yes. Uh, Ugh, and so is hard. this, is this something that actually happens every generation and, and we're just, this is our version of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to boldly say, no, it's not, ha- it, well, 
Yes, maybe it happens. Probably a little mix of gener- both, huh? Yeah, yeah. A little bit. I'm going to say boldly, maybe. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, but no. The, the the thing is, I do think it change. It, it's something that reoccurs from generation to generation. Yeah. Absolutely, and there is a shift that's happening. And here's the shift: mm. the, the way I see it is that, um, in, uh, I'm talking about Western musical evolution, so European. Uh, uh, musical evolution. Um, and uh, just to be very clear, I, I um, you know, I studied uh, ethnomusicology at UCLA uh, for a few years. I'm very much into music from all around the world. And uh, as much as I love uh, music that evolved in Europe, I by no means think it is better than or more evolved than other music. So I just want to put that on the table. Sure. I find all music equally part of this human tapestry we have, uh, you know, co-created. Now back to European music, um, you know, over the course of hundreds of years, um, it evolved from uh, something more. Um, I would say more simple to something more complex, developing uh, rhythms and polyphony and harmony and melodic structures, right? Yeah. Uh, that um, I would say if we go to the classical period or the romantic period, when you listen to symphonies uh, written, written during those periods, if you listen to a symphony, a piece of music that is you know, 45 minutes, an hour long, something like that. And you listen to that, um, you go through every emotion possible, right? Mm. Heartbreak, joy, um, elation, absolute despair. I mean, it's, it's, it's all there, especially during, during the romantic period. Yeah. Um, it's crazily and put together too, like how the crazily put together it's, it's on, like on, on every it, level. I can see why into, some people are turned off by some classic music because it's like, whoa, 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 whoa! You know, you're on this wild it's ride. An, it's you know? an emotional investment for sure. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm getting at is that, and I think this might tie into what you were talking about, like Queen, early Queen. Like you know, um, I was seven when Bohemian Rhapsody came out in 1975. Yeah. Man. Um, Right. And uh, um, a a lot of the music around there, when you listen to a song, it still took its time. uh, And it also a lot of music uh, portrayed several different emotions. Yeah. And um, so when I see the evolution of Western music going from something very... uh, uh, simple into more complexity into gradually as the West allowed itself to feel more, uh, expressing more emotions and then that like expression of so many emotions. And now we go to 2019 and a song is three minutes long mm-hmm. and it is one single emotion. Yeah. Repeating. And uh, repeating. <laughs> Yeah. And there's something that is, I feel, and this is why I say that I do think there's a shift more than just our nostalgic missing, because there's actually a shift in in music, yeah. uh, and not just in music, but we're talking about music right now, in which we are back to a simplification that to me feels uh, like someone's putting handcuffs on me and telling you need <laughs> to feel this one thing over and over. Yeah. And it doesn't feel in sync with actually 
how we feel emotions. We don't just feel one emotion over and over. We feel a thousand different emotions every five minutes. Yeah, even every second, really. You know, it's every like, second, right? We're so, so dynamic, yeah. yeah. So there's something that has become kind of constricted, and I'm not sure if it's serving our species. No, I, mean. I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's a big problem. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's interesting because I think sometimes it's, it is a nostalgia thing, you know, so and sometimes I got to get caught. I got to be cautious of getting caught up in like, you know, when I watched that movie for the first time, we, we talked a bit about Blade Runner. We'll get that in a minute. But like things yeah. like that, when you know, when you 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 approach these things and you experience these things and and. And when you look back at them, you're like, you're not just listening to the song, but you're thinking about, oh, that was the first time I had a kiss or as a first, like there was a, oh, I had a hard time that day and that song really lifted me and you have these uh, feelings attached to it, which is obviously a problem. But, um, is it? I, well, I think it's a problem <laughs> if you're, it's an unhealthy problem if you're expecting that to happen again unwilling to change your perspective that makes sense you know like if you're mm -hmm. like oh music should be as good as queen it's like well that's not reasonable you know so what well, i want to push i want to push back on that sure please right all yes. right so i love I and i love like, this yeah because because i think we we um uh especially in this country i feel like we in our desire to be open-minded and non-judgmental, which I think is a very good thing to be yeah. open-minded, non-judgmental. But I think that sometimes I, my concern is that we take it so far that we lose our ability to discern and we need to be able to discern, right? Not, not every opinion is judgmental and bad. And, and to say that, um, you know, the 60s and 70s musically created some incredibly, um, uh, original and uh, and powerful and important music, and that we feel like there's less of that today. Um, I think there's some merit to that. I think that that on one hand, it's amazing that technology is allowing more and more people to create, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, we're getting a lot of stuff <laughs> that that right. We're getting a lot of stuff, and the other thing is like. Whereas in the let's let's say in the seventies, um, uh, the sex appeal of a rock band was important. It was secondary to musicianship and music, yeah. and uh, you know musicianship. Let's let's just talk about that and uh, the ability to play an instrument. Right. Yeah. That seems right now in today's musical language, or I should say the, the billboard, right? The, the, six, the language of success musically, yeah. the ability yeah. to play an instrument seems to be like somewhere way down the list. Or even sing and hold a fucking note, you know, auto or hold a note without yeah. auto tune. I so hey, auto tune. Fuck. I'll say it here. If you have auto tune in your song, I'm turning it off. I can't listen to it. Man. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, it's, it's, Yes, I think it's great that music has become more of a form of expression uh, to so many more people who otherwise would not have been able to have that kind of access because they didn't have the privilege to do so. I recognize that. That's important. Sure. And at the same time, um, I, I feel my heart breaking a bit whenever we lose respect for craftsmanship. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because well, it's, it's, it's taken a, it's our species thousands basically. of years to develop that, yeah, right? Yeah. Whether and, dis it's, and to disregard it is, is, is so wrong. Yeah. 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 I agree. No, you're right. And there's there's parts of it. I, this is a topic that runs in my head 
through my head <laughs> all day long, all the time. And it's like, it's like, it's like almost like I'm trying to hunt for the end decimal point of pi or something, you know, it's like, it's never going to happen. Yeah, so yeah. because it's yeah. ever changing, but it's, it's a definitely a conundrum, but there are a couple artists. So there's this artist that I really, really love. Um, I I've been addicted to his album. His name's Andy Schaff. Have you heard of Andy Schaff? No, no. Please but check I, him I, out. I, yeah, totally. Yeah. He's good. Just, I mean, the funny thing is it's very polar, which I love. So like I'll share it with some people. Some people go like, that's, I don't like it. Some people go, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Like, so it's really great. And I love it because he's making music now, right now. And he's a talented person because he understands the craft, but he also has got great songwriting and he's multifaceted. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like one of the first times I listened to like St. Vincent and like I listened to her Mm -hmm. way before she Mm -hmm. was really quite big. And it was really cool because Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, she has such dynamics and range. And it reminded me of like, listening to like Dolly Parton and like Patsy Cline growing up and all this kind of stuff. And then like a nice hybrid mix of different influences <laughs> and music nowadays to have that, uh, or the time that I heard it, it was like, wow, this is so different when everybody was just doing like breakbeat samples and, you know, repeating things. So I think it's, it's another form of art and it's a beautiful form of art and it's something different. It's, I've never really been a huge fan of popular music. I I think that stopped when like Queen stopped being very popular, you know, Mm. I just Mm. didn't care. And now more than ever, I'm like, it's kind of really creeping me out because sometimes um, my wife likes to watch those. I call them singing and dancing shows where like they sing and dance, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're all like sitting there and they're getting judged for like doing a cover. And I'm like, this is just weird. This is mm-hmm. very, very weird to me because it's like, mm-hmm. you're not doing something original. Then somebody that's not as talented as you is having the right to judge you publicly. And it's like, mm-hmm. this is just weird, man. Like I'd like to watch a show where we're following somebody who's, struggling to find themselves creatively and then they're making that brilliant work and you're seeing them make the fucking brilliant thing because they're not being judged in the sense where they're on this like weird, you know, you got to do this cover. And it's like the weirdest thing I watched. I remember that one time it was like a, it was like some like 15 year old kid or something. He's doing like this super deep song about love and stuff. And I'm like looking, I'm going, I'm standing there. I'm like, I know it's not right of me probably to judge, but I'm like, you don't know anything about love really yet. You just don't mm-hmm. know. You're only like mm. 15 years old. You might have mm. an inkling. You might have lust. You don't mm. know what the fuck love is, you know? Mm. <laughs> and then the, the person that's critiquing them obviously is somebody that doesn't, isn't as good as them, but has mm-hmm. somehow managed to put themselves in a judge, judgment place. And then, mm-hmm. and then they're like, you know, you need to put more heart and soul. I'm like, dude, it's a kid, man. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It, it's just a weird, it's like a s- weird social experiment, but it's entertaining in a sense where you continue to watch it. So I get that totally. So, but it's very weird. It's a weird, it is weird. Yeah. It is weird. And I, I, I hear everything you're saying that, that all lands for me. I think the one thing that's, um, how should I put this? I think, so all forms of, 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 uh, expression are valid right? Uh, it's not to say that we need to get rid of anything. But the one of the key words that comes up for me is humility. Mm. And, and, and I think in this, this very narcissistic day and age that we live in, that's something that that's really what pushes my button. Because, you know, I have a pretty good camera and I take nice pictures. I would never dare to call myself a photographer. Mm. I'm not. There are people who have dedicated their lives to that skill and craft. They are photographers. Mm. You know, I play a little bit of guitar. I'm not a guitarist. Mm, mm, mm. Right? And so I think to have 
enough knowledge and kind of like a north star of where we are in the in in the scheme of things to say yes i i'm pretty good at this um but i want to respect those who have really dedicated their life and have a craft uh, and right and so i think that's what's missing a lot you know like i yeah. my wife and i met dancing we love dancing and we love music that allows you to dance and so for that we also need djs and djs are great yeah. um um, and there's a certain type of um, lack of humility in DJ culture, right? Where that's where I feel like we're getting derailed as a species, right? Mm, where mm. it's not, it's not, it's not what they're doing. It's the whole thing around it. Yeah, yeah. The mechanism, the, yeah. The the mechanism and the hype Industry, and the. Yeah. I mean, you know, when when a DJ is standing in front of a crowd of 10,000 people and they're dancing and they're having an amazing cell phones time are all out. <laughs> and the, and the, li the lights and the cell phones and the, all of that. Yeah. Um, and it's great people. That's wonderful. But you know what? That DJ most likely didn't write or produce that song. Yeah. Yeah. They, they pressed a button and maybe they did a little, you know, um, a filter sweep. Sure. And that's all great. I'm not <laughs> knocking any of it, but there, but you know, it's like everything values. is becoming yeah. this kind of like rock star thing. You see it in everything yeah. uh, these days. And that's where it's like, you know what? Fine. But uh, it's nice to go to the Met and see a painting or it's nice to go and hear some uh, jazz or yeah. it's nice to hear someone at BAM perform and sing just with guitar. But but there's a dedication to uh, a skill and it's something much more humble than this big idea of success and red carpets. And I think yeah. back to the, the, the idea of intimacy and connection, I, I ultimately think that that's what we all really long for right it's yeah. like uh, and that's and that's something that's much smaller and more ordinary than these big overhyped scenarios that we're finding ourselves in yeah no definitely and i think that um what you're getting at is true and i think a lot of it probably comes from our perspective of when we were raised and how we looked at the world and and at the same because like i know i've been to some edm like crazy you know festivals and I totally understand that because like when you're there, you're with your friends and you're, you're just dancing and having fun. And that's like, and you're having fun to loud music. That's mm. probably is, that's basically I equate that to like lust. It's like a lustful mm. experience. It's mm. very lustful. It's like very uh, of the moment and it's very mm. um, bright mm. and vibrant and, and, but lust dies. It doesn't mm. last long. It's like a fucking firecracker. What you're talking mm. about is intimate love making basically, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and that will mm. surpass any lustful event ever. And lust is mm. great as a fond memory and a thing, but um, it's, it's, it's just like a flash in the pan, you know, like this, mm. the, the, the whole Instagram generation and all this stuff. I think mm. it's, this. <coughs> I'm very much a part of it in a sense where I look at it. I try to be objective as much as possible mm. to it, mm. but it's mm. like, yeah, it's, it's it, the lifespan on things is so rapid. And I think it's a lot yeah. of it. It's just because of our connection to these things is, is we don't know what we're doing really. That's the, at the end of the day, that's really what mm. it comes down to is we don't know what we're doing and, and why we're doing these things. And that's really the ultimate problem. And mm. I think it's just the way that we're consuming things. And yeah, of course I think everybody wants to be a rock star. I mean, 
I played music for eight years. I was a bass mm. guitarist. I love mm. music. I was like tool and I loved all that kind of stuff so heavily. And I was like, that was my intention was to be a musician for a lot for living. And this was like right when everything just really started just to fall apart and take a fat shit, <laughs> you know, the industry mm. itself. And I was like, well, I, uh, I can draw, so I'll go do that now, <laughs> you know? Mm. And so that's when everything shifted. There's a big paradigm. Um, but yeah, intimacy with music and being creative and there is a, there is a big shift that's happening nowadays. But I, like I say that, but like, I, I also really love like Andy Schaff's album and I'm a big fan of like bands like, um, like beach house. Like I really love beach yeah, house, I you mean, know, yeah. I, like yeah. I love her sound and their sound, you know, I love it mm-hmm. so much. And so there are bands and musicians and people that are out For there sure. making incredible yes. stuff. I just, Absolutely. I was listening to rival consoles the other night and I was like, wow, it's so good. Like beautiful sounds and stuff. And, um, Nils Fram. I mean, there's so many people that are making, there's, there's <laughs> a lot of great music created uh, yeah. all over the world Crazy right now. Amounts, yeah. And, and, um, and the <laughs> stuff that resonates for, for me most is things again, that it comes down to craftsmanship. Yeah. And that, yeah. again, that can be an upright bass or a turntable. It doesn't, it, but, but something where it's not just, uh, a one hit wonder cheap trick, let's do it for the fame, but there's actually yeah. something being communicated uh, music genre or style is sad, but I feel like actually the whoever's on the other side communicating something is doing it from a place of authenticity. Yeah. And I feel respected in that communication. I feel there's an intimacy there. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and if there's this craftsmanship around, you know, the production and the, you know, um, the, the, the playing, the musicianship, all of that, it's amazing. And there is so much of that being created right now. Yeah, it just it's a, it's just sad that it seems to be drowned out by a lot of other noise. Yes, yeah, and that's just kind of how it goes. It's like it reminds me of like the butt rock, like the fucking hair bands and shit like that. It's like that's when Metallica was like, "Fuck that shit, let's go out and make our sound, and then we'll play we'll play garages until we fucking shred." And then they became world famous, and then they went off to make horrible music. You know, it's like, and I say that with like me being a huge Metallica fan, especially mm. at the early age, they make shit music now. It's just. It's a bummer, mm. you know, because mm. they don't, they don't, it's a weird, it's a, it's a weird thing to expect an artist to be the same for fucking a decade, you know, right. it's like, come on. Right. And that's one thing, right. like I'm a big tool fan and I, I, I've met Maynard and I'm, I like, I really admire that band because of what they've managed to do with rock in, in general. And, mm. and it's like, I, people always gripe, like they don't make an album, I'm like fucking shut up, man. They've <laughs> made so many albums and mm. they should not make any more if they're not comfortable making one. Mm. You know, I'm a hundred percent on the side of the artist. Like don't force the artist because if they have to make one just for status quo, it's, it's going to be robbed of its essence and that's mm-hmm. not right. It's a big problem. So mm-hmm. I mean, you can say that about everybody, everybody's music, your music, everybody's creation in general, you know, mm-hmm. I, I freaking, this sucks. I want it. I could talk to you for hours. We're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to do part two if you're cool with it. Cause I have to go soon uh, in a couple yeah. minutes here. Yeah. 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 And there's so yeah. many things that like, I wanted to talk about Blade Runner I, and like, you know, nerding yeah. out about uh, analog versus digital. And oh like, oh my you know. God. We didn't even get to the <laughs> modular sense and everything. Oh, yes. Man. Let's do a, uh, let's do a second one because I feel like we've laid the groundwork for for all these other topics we need to dive back into. Yes, indeed. I and I really appreciate it. I know you're busy, so I appreciate it and super excited and thankful that we had this talk. And um, yeah, we'll we'll be back. We'll be back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>